This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and this morning we are joined by Jamie Zalman, my co-host, Titan CEO, president of Titan CEO, and the founder. And we have Jason Ganahl. He's the founder of GQ Barbecue, and he is the maestro of meat. Good morning. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Bob. And thank you for pronouncing GQ right. You know, being the fashionista that I am, I know how to pronounce that stuff. <laughs> it's four letters, but it's a complicated four letters. When we first opened up, I would get a call from different places wanting to buy their stuff. And I had one lady, Jacqui. She's like, uh, yeah, you're a French bistro. Jacqui, aren't you? Got some linens, I'd like to tell you. But it, it's much easier when you look at it with a G and a hyphen and a Q than I think when you just see it as four letters and try to make sense out of it. <laughs> Well, I grew up in the deep south, so I could pronounce it almost any different way, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, so tell us about GQ Barbecue. Tell us about your business, who you serve. So GQ, we, we got several different taglines. One of them is Colorado's only championship barbecue restaurant. So my background, uh, I started out as, a, as somebody who just wanted to eat really good barbecue. And then I became a judge in professional barbecue contests. And then I started competing in professional barbecue contests. And then I opened up a barbecue restaurant. And so we, we are the only barbecue restaurant in Colorado that's actually won professional barbecue contests. How does one get yeah. to be a judge? I'm thinking that's pretty clever. Yeah, it's great, but you pack on the pounds being a judge. You eat literally pounds of food at a barbecue contest, which is great. I mean, I, I loved it. And I was a judge. I'm 44 now, so I was a judge 10 to 12 years ago. So I can't imagine what it's like. You know, and we have a lot of judges that are 65, uh, 70. I can't imagine how they feel for two or three days after they judge a barbecue contest. Because even now today, like if I eat a big barbecue meal, which is nowhere near the amount of meat that you would eat, while you were judging a contest, I still feel it the next day. And I'll get the barbecue burps, you know, like a day after, like at lunch or whatever, I'd burp up smoke and a little bit of uh, meat. <laughs> so I, oh I can't gosh. imagine what it's like for some of, these, some of these judges. And these judges will do it every single week, too. They'll do it every week for 35, 40 weeks out of the year. <laughs> wow. I'm speechless is the wrong word. But, you know, I think about the travel and the schedule. For you, just how did you take and apply what you learned from judging to start to influence what you were offering in your restaurant. I tell people all the time, I think judging really lent itself to a lot of the success I had when I was competing. Because when you're competing, you're trying to impress just the judges. And being a judge for two and a half, three years, I got to really learn the entries, how they were presented. I got to see how they, they tasted. But more importantly, I got to think like a judge. And there's, there's different strategies involved on when you turn food in in July at a contest when it's, you know, 100 degrees outside. And if you're in a humid area, not so much in, in Colorado because we don't have a lot of humidity, but you're going you're gonna to have a different type of flavor profile than if it's fall in October or September. Judges prefer different types of food given the different environments, given the different climates, given the different places of the country you're in. So I think it's also important to think like a judge when you're turning in your, your barbecue at these contests. And I really think judging helped me in that regard more than, more than any other regard. I don't know if it really helped out a whole lot. Well, I, I guess it did when I created the menu for the restaurant, but more so what helped me with the background in that when I created the menu for the restaurant was getting the feedback from the judges. So I judged for about three years and then I competed for about five but then getting all the feedback from the judges for those five years, that really gave me a really good idea of what people like, right? And so, I mean, I, I could talk about this for a while, and I, I don't want to dominate the conversation and what judges like or what people like. 
But you look at all the different senses you got, you know, you got like salty, you got savory, you got sweet, you got the different senses. What I think the, the, the good target for a lot of like just chefs and not so much food competitors, but I think it's important for food competitors too, is you don't want to be too offensive in any one particular thing. So if you're developing a strategy for winning a barbecue contest, you want to be considered very good across the board. Maybe that judge that prefers something that's, that's overly sweet isn't going to think you're great, but it's not going to be offensive to that person. They're going to stay, still say, wow, that's really good. However, if you went down that very sweet path and turned in something super sweet, the judge that likes sweet is going to be like, holy cow, this is the best ribs I ever had. However, the contrarian to that is the judge that prefers something savory is going to be like, oh my God, that's too sweet. Get it out of here. One bite, that's plenty, that's plenty for me. So you're really just hitting the fairway. You're just being very good to everybody and getting something with a lot of balance with something unique to it, but it's not going to be offensive to anybody. And I think that is a good strategy for anybody out there creating like a restaurant menu is just create food that's not going to offend any particular person. Interesting thought process spoken like a true maestro of meat. So I have to ask you then, you know, with the creativity of the name, the title, where did that come from? I don't know where maestro of meat came from. In, in the barbecue world, uh, there's all kinds of just silly monikers, all kinds of silly names. Uh, I, Sultan, I always thought was kind of a cool name. And I had not seen anybody use Sultan a swine. And I think it's very important not to copy somebody else. And so I remember coming up with Sultan a swine first and seeing nobody use Sultan as a moniker. And then I think somebody just said maestro of meat one day. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And then I, I had not thought of anybody using that. So then I, I took that on also too. It's important for me not to do what somebody else is doing and do something unique. Wow, that's great. So I have to ask, you know, Jason, and for those of you that are listening, Jason is recognized as one of our 2020 Titan 100, which recognizes Colorado's top 100 CEOs and C-level executives. Jason was profiled in the book, which I just held up a copy. So I ask every single one of the Titans that come onto this podcast, what, in their opinion, it takes characteristics to define a Titan in their own right. What do you believe? Well, th that's a very subjective question, right? Like Titan, right? A Titan, I don't know even what the definition of a Titan would be. But to me, when I think of a Titan, I think of like an imposing character, somebody that can yield influence, somebody that can yield uh, force, somebody that can bestow their just expertise upon a lot of different people. So I think of that when I think of a Titan. However, to become a Titan, I think of uh, something different. And for me, it's when and I already know some of the people that also were in your group of 100 and everything that those people have that I know is passion, right? That they, they might not necessarily be the smartest. They might not necessarily know the most, but they're all very passionate about what they do. And I think in order for somebody to, to become a Titan and no matter what they do, I've got four kids, even for one of my kids to be a Titan on the baseball field, they, they better be very excited and very passionate about being out there or they're never going to be somebody that can yield their influence over their other teammates on the baseball field. Thanks, Jason. Yes. A description. If you Google a Titan and Titan comes from the Greek mythology in which Titans were a race of God, but a Titan is by definition, a person of exceptional importance and reputation 
They are people who are distinguished and reputable. And yes, I would agree wholeheartedly. They exude incredible passion. There you go. How about that? Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking as maestro of meat, sultan of swine, and titan of taste. There we Ooh, go. Oh, titan wow. of taste. Bob, coming in hot today. <laughs> 9.20 in the morning. It's scary. I've had lots of coffee. You know, right. I was thinking about, you did something before barbecue. And yeah. so there's the thought, oh, you know what? I love this enough. I want to pursue this in a restaurant. And then you go from restaurant to more than one location. If you would, walk us down the path from pre-restaurant to what you're doing now. How'd you get from there to here? Sure. So I had a recruiting business. I worked for... Formerly, it's now Medtronic, it was Covidian, it was Tyco Healthcare. They've had a bunch of different spinoffs and mergers and acquisitions. And the company I worked for was Nelcor Puritan Bennett, which was acquired by then Mallinckrodt, which was then acquired by Tyco. And I, I had a variety, I started out as a sales rep for them, and I had a variety of sales and marketing management positions with them and got moved around all over the country, which was great. And then I was going to get moved again to take on a different role. And I met my now wife, and this was like 14 years ago. And I, and I thought at some point, I'm 44 now, then I was probably about 30 or 29. And I thought at some point I wanted to get married and have kids. I just can't keep bouncing around going all over the place. I guess I could, but that's not really what I wanted to do. And so I didn't take that next promotion. And then I decided to go off. I developed a lot of really great relationships in, in the medical device community. And I started a recruiting firm for uh, pharmaceutical and medical device people. So I recruited sales and marketing people for, for that industry. And I did that during the week. And on the weekends, I had nothing to do. I uh, didn't have kids and just moved out here to, I moved out here to Boulder. At that time, it was Covidian. Our office was in Gun Barrel and I lived in Boulder. And I'm not a barbecue snob. As long as it's not oversauced, I enjoy it. And I've always found barbecue that I like in the different cities that I lived. And I moved out here, oh, 13-ish years ago. And I, I couldn't necessarily find the place that uh, would warrant a 45-minute drive over and over and over again. I would drive to it, and it would be great the first time. I would go back a second time, and it would miss the mark. So then I'd go on to the next place, and the same thing. I'd find good barbecue, but it was inconsistent. So I went online to try to continue to find these places all out here in the Denver area, and I found this group called the Kansas City Barbecue Society, and I thought, that, that's interesting. I learned more about it, and they put on these professional barbecue contests all over the country. I was like, ooh, professional barbecue contest. And I'm naturally a very competitive guy. So it had my interest. And I found that they had one in Frisco, Colorado. And it was coming up in three or four months. So I marked it on my calendar. And I went up there. And I was immediately intoxicated by the aromas of smoke in the air. Everybody walking around with a cold beer. Music playing in the background. And of course, the atmosphere of Frisco, Colorado. And I was like, holy cow. These are my kind of people right here. So I learned more about them. And I, I have a couple of very vivid memories uh, from that day, even, even being 13 years ago. One, I learned about the judging process that takes place and what it takes to become a judge. And two, I remember this one team, I went over to him and he was serving ribs and he's like, here, would you like to try a rib? This isn't what I'm selling to everybody. This is one that I actually turned in at a contest and talked earlier about the description of a Titan. This guy, I mean, tried his food, but I saw this giant logo in back of him. Uh, he was a very confident man. He had music, obviously, in the background. He's drinking a beer. And he's like, here, try my, my rib. And he was very excited for me to try his rib. And I took a bite of it. I, I was like, holy crap, that's the best rib I have ever had in my life. 
hands down, bar none. And then I looked at the results. The results came out later that afternoon, about six hours later, and I looked at the results. He was third from last in, in ribs. And so at that moment, I was, I was really intimidated, thinking like, wow, these may be my people, but I don't stand a chance like cooking food and competing on the level that these people are competing at. So that was kind of my first foray into it. And that led me because of my inability to compete at that level. I thought, man, I, I've got to learn more about this. I got to figure out how to eat more food like this because it tasted so good. And I became a judge and I started uh, judging barbecue contests. And I judged for, for two or three years before I started competing. The thing that strikes me about that is field research, right? You know, I think about, you know, how many people build a business first off by judging whatever the business does and then spending X number of years competing to take and really learn the ins and outs of what's going on. I think it's just remarkable that the field research led you to where you are right now. And, you know, for the folks that are listening, I mean, there's tons of lessons in doing your homework, to understand your market. I think that's just really impressive. I'll piggyback that and I'll give you a, a real life example right now in the COVID world. I remember when we opened our first restaurant up, we just had a five-year anniversary back in November. And it's up in Westminster for people that are familiar with the Denver area, 120th and Sheridan. And there's a Chipotle, there's an Einstein Bakery, there's a bunch of restaurants around that area. And we figured out, okay, I had to make or sell this much barbecue in order to make this much money to pay back everything you need to pay back and to make it all worthwhile. And I, I literally remember for two weeks going around and sitting in these different places at lunchtime, just counting the number of people coming through and then making an estimate. Okay. These are the amount of people that go to this place. These are the amount of people that go to that place. How many do we think we can get to our place? And right now we're looking to do our third location. And with COVID being the way COVID is, I can't do that right now. So it's really difficult for me to do the quote unquote field research to get a good idea of what we could draw uh, based on what the, the neighboring places draw. And you can get, they call them comps. You can get comps, the amount that the places are, are selling. Perfect example is one of the places we're looking at. It's the place right next to it is Bar Louie. I don't know how much of it is alcohol. I don't know how much of it is food. I do know how many people walk in the door and I do know what the average person can spend and I can count that. And that equates better for me as a number that I, I can handle more. Like, okay, at lunchtime, I know I can get 75 people in here. They're going to spend this amount. That helps me much more than knowing, oh, this restaurant just does whatever, $3 million in sales. It's not as good of a comparison for me. Interesting. No, I love that you've done so much research and I think it's such a good application here. And yes, your business in particular is definitely impacted by COVID, how have you guys continued to navigate the landscape and just, you know, what you're doing and how you're kind of continuing to, you know, navigate things? Yeah, the biggest thing I've noticed is just drive-throughs. Places with drive-throughs, they're killing it. You know, I had to go last night, I had to go run an errand and it was, it was 8.30 at night on a Sunday night and there's a Freddy's and there's a Taco Bell right in the corner. And they had, the Freddy's had probably about 12 deep and the Taco Bell had about 80. So drive-through restaurants are doing fantastic right now. The people that don't have drive-throughs, where the, the people have to get out of their car, they have to go inside, they're, they're touching more things, they're exposed to more people. Those are the places that, that are having a really hard time. And we've always been lucky in that barbecue is something that, that holds very well. It's probably, probably I, I don't know the number on, on this, but probably the most consumed niche type of food off-premise. 
more people consume barbecue at their workplace, at home, they get it to go, they do caterings, and it's not consumed in an actual restaurant. So we already were at a little bit of an advantage in regards to that. We already had third-party delivery set up. We had three different companies. We had DoorDash, we had Grubhub, we had Uber. We've since added Postmates to that. So a lot of this consumption of food when it's off-premise, so much of it comes down to the packaging Is it going to hold the food well? Is it going to prevent the food from slipping around in the bags? Are the people going to get it the way they would expect it? Meaning that is it not in one bag? Is it not in another one? So we had already, because so much of our food is consumed offsite already, we were already set up to really excel in an environment like this. We just needed to figure out then how can we get more people to come to our place? So we weren't scrambling to set up third-party deliveries. We weren't scrambling to set up really good packaging. And so we offered an incentive to order online, And then they wouldn't have to talk to anybody. They wouldn't have to do anything. They could just come in, grab their food, and out they go. So it was a bit of an adjustment for probably, I don't know, about a month, month and a half to to just get people aware that, hey, we're offering a discount to come in and eat our food. But it's 100% just about survival. I mean, we're not not making any, any significant money at all this year. It's just like, let's keep everybody employed. Let's keep our lights on. And let's just chalk this year up to the year of 2020. But certainly, let's not lose anything. Let's not go backwards. And we've been able to do that. It's a strong testament to your leadership. And you talked a lot about things that pertain to attention to detail, like the packaging, for example, which, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't even think of. Congratulations to you as you've navigated and led through this time. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I mean, we joke around about it in in our, our managers meetings now. It's like, what next? I mean, we're good. I mean, everything after this is going to be easy. Not easy. I don't want to say easy because nothing's easy no matter what you do. But everything that I think we've all dealt with this year, we weren't prepared for. We had to adapt. We had to overcome it. And now I feel like as an organization, at least the leaders in our organization, we're much more prepared to adapt and overcome things as they come up. So the typical issues that we would have as restaurant leaders are going to seem, I think, rather insignificant to all the things we've dealt with over the last eight months. And I think we're way better equipped now to just adapt and overcome as these things come up. You know, before I forget, for the folks that are going, you've done it now, I want some barbecue, <laughs> How, which is what I'm thinking. I'm going like, is barbecue okay for breakfast? You know, of course, so, the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> of course it is. How do people find you on social media? So GQ Barbecue, we got, that's our, our handle for Instagram. That's our handle for, for Facebook. We've got, if you're, if you're a barbecuer at home and you're looking for some tips on how to barbecue, I've got a YouTube channel. That's also GQ Barbecue. And of course, uh, here in Denver, probably going to our website, you can order online. You can use promo code community, take that 15% off that I was talking about earlier. We'll have the food in a bag with your name on it. You just walk right in. You'll see this is DoorDash, this is Grubhub, this is Uber Eats, this is Carryouts. It's, it's very easy to come in, pick up your food if you never tried us before and get that 15% off. Also, if anybody wants a free sandwich, all they got to do is go to our website and scroll down to the very bottom, put in your email address, and I'll send everybody a free pulled pork uh, sandwich. What's the destination spread? How far will you deliver? That's a good question. I get a lot of messages on social media People will be frustrated. They're like, hey, I just got your ribs delivered last Friday. I want to order them again, but now you're not delivering. What's going on? Can you turn it back on? We don't control any of that. That's all controlled by the third-party platforms, and they have some sort of algorithm at work that's probably tied into the amount of people that's working, probably tied into how long it's going to take to get from point A to point B. 
but there is, those are all controlled by the third party delivery system. So sometimes it can be, you know, a mile and a half, two miles. And other times I know we've taken food eight or nine miles away. Well, see, I'm thinking I'm down in Colorado Springs. You're up in Westminster and I'm going like, <laughs> yeah, I think that might be a little far. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, with that being said, you know, I, I think about the lessons learned during adversity. And you kind of go, so if you're going to take and pay the price of adversity, you might as well have an advantage or a learned lesson. You know, if you were to look at the things that you now know that got accelerated in your learning curve from this and, you know, down the road at some point in time, this will be behind us. What advantages do you think this particular trial will create for you in in your business? Well, I I think I kind of mentioned that a little bit before. I just think our capacity to deal with adversity, the, the... the top of that has, has been raised. Uh, there's a certain threshold for everybody where they're just willing to just quit or give up or go, go do something else because it's just too tough, it's too hard, and maybe they don't realize that it's them that's not capable of handling the situation and they blame the situation for being too difficult. But I feel like not only myself, but I feel like, I mean, all the way down to the, the team members who, who have to come to work every single day and wear something on their face that's probably uncomfortable for nine hours where their job is to talk to people and they have to talk through that. But then more importantly, nowhere in any job description do we have where it to ask any of the employees to walk around and enforce restrictions, enforce standards and all that. Well, in the beginning, now everyone's used to wearing a mask. But in the beginning, they were being asked to, to wear this mask around their face, talk through that and enforce all these standards around people. We are a business of hospitality. So we want to make everybody happy. But now we're telling people what they can or cannot do when they come into our restaurant. So that flies in. It's so contrary to everything we, we try to do as hospitality employees, make people happy. Now we're saying, don't stand here. You can stand right here. Go wait outside. And that's a very challenging thing for, for somebody who really just wants to make people happy. So I, I think all of the people that have worked in our organization for the last eight to nine months, their capacity to deal with adversity has all been lifted. I think we can look back, I hope we can look back in the year 2020, five years from now, and we can actually see what it gave us. It gave us a lot of really bad things we had to deal with, but it also gave us the ability to just deal with adversity and to overcome different things. I think, I hope, we can look back and see we've got something positive out of 2020 versus all the horrible things we've all had to deal with over the last nine months. I think that's a big testament to your outlook on things and the power of your mindset and staying positive, right? It's that life is going to throw you all of sorts of curveballs and it's we can't control 100% of what happens to us, but we can absolutely control 100% of how we choose to respond mm-hmm. and react to it. So spoken like a true titan the thing as i jump in here and and interrupt you know and and so i'm fascinated by the sandwich for email effort (laughs) and i live a sheltered life you know and i think about data that you're talking about yes the data data awareness data selection obvious focus on not just the customer coming through the door but the relationship that you can have with your customer the email can you expand on that a little bit on what you're thinking Happy to. Email, I think, is super impersonal. So we're, we're going to be looking at a text way. We're going to get textual with people here in 2021 and try to figure out a way to get people to open up our communications with them much sooner. John Taffer, is anybody familiar with John Taffer? He's the guy that has the TV shows. He's, he's probably, I mean, he's got one of the longer running TV shows on TV. And if you've ever been up, you know, 12 at night, one in the morning, you've probably seen one of his shows. 
but he's the guy that comes on and there's something just gross going on in the bar. He goes, shut it down. Shut this place down. Yes. Uh, big, big heavy set, loud mouth yes. guy. That's John Taffer. So he, he put out this stat, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he says if you get somebody to come into your restaurant a first time, all things considered, I mean, I mean, you, you throw it all, all out to the side. If you get somebody to come in the first time, the chances they come back in a second time, you want to take a guess what it would be? I bet it's low. Uh, 40%. 50%? 40%. So he says 40%. And then if they come back in a second time, again, all things considered, however their experience was, whatever it was or was not in terms of meeting their expectations, what are the chances they come back in a third time? 20. Oh, it goes down. 50? goes down. And it goes up. Jamie, you're on the right track. It goes up. Okay. It only goes up by two percentage points. So he says 43% of the time, they'll come back in a third time. Uh, however, if you can get that guest to come in a third time, what's the percentage of times they come back for a fourth fourth time? 60%. Oh, Jamie, you, I almost feel like you met John Taffer's stuff before. I haven't. Bob, you want to guess? No, Jamie's got the lead. So it goes all the way up to 70%. So if you can get somebody to get into your restaurant three times, you have a 70% chance they come back in a fourth time. So my whole goal with these incentives is just to get people in my restaurant three times so that I know there's a, almost a three out of four chance they come back in for, for a fourth time. So I'm kind of burying the lead here, but I bet, I will bet my mortgage on my house, I will bet all my rent payments in my restaurant that if you sign up and you get a free pulled pork sandwich, I bet you're gonna get two more freebies at some point after using that, that pulled pork sandwich. How does that happen? Who knows? <laughs> it's you know, a Christmas miracle. Yes, it is. You know, Jamie, we've been at this for a while, and I've got time flies when you're having fun. What can oh, you yes. say? So, what did we forget to talk about that we should have? Oh, I don't know, Jason. Anything that you would like us to sort of ask you or probe you? I feel like we could, you know, ask you for the secret to your sauce, if you will, right? Ooh. But I don't know if you would tell us that. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get messages all the time for people that love barbecue and they want to open up a barbecue restaurant. They say, hey, I'm thinking about opening up a barbecue restaurant. Is there anything you can tell me? And I actually try to talk them out of it because cooking barbecue, I cook barbecue two, two days out of the entire year. Christmas and Thanksgiving are the only two days I go in the restaurant and I actually cook the barbecue and spend time cooking the barbecue. Owning a barbecue restaurant is about... I don't know, 1%, 2% cooking barbecue. And it's the old, what is that, the e-myth, right? That if, if, you, if you like making guitars, opening up a guitar shop, it's not playing guitars and, and making guitars. It's dealing with the HR, the accounting. It's dealing with marketing. It's dealing with all the other aspects that, that roll around with the business. But my point with all of this kind of stuff is that I actually forgot what my point was. Jamie, you'd asked me if there's anything you wanted to, if you wanted to talk about. And uh, I totally forgot where I was going. See, the other thing, too, is I have massive ADD, like significant <laughs> way off the chart ADD. So it's very common for me to come up with five or different things in my head at one time. I should only be focused on one thing. <laughs> A lot of entrepreneurs suffer from ADD. It's oh, sort of like oh. part of the club, I think. <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. I, but thank you for having me on, Jamie. It's always great seeing you, whether it's on Zoom or, or in person. And hopefully we can do some more of these events here next year. 
Absolutely. And so for those of you that are interested in learning more about Jason's story and hearing or reading more about the Titan 100, you can visit our website at www.titan100.biz. You can go and see all of the 2020 Titan 100 and you can find Jason's profile. You can read about Jason and more secrets from the maestro of meat. Thank you so much again for being here, Jason and Bob for co-hosting. This has been a fun morning and I'm ready for some barbecue. Yes. Thank you so much for your time, Jamie. I think we'll call it good. Sounds good. Thanks everyone. See ya. Have a good day. Bye-bye.